All progress takes place outside of the comfort zone. That was an unknown quote. Welcome to the Darrell McLean Show. I'm your host, Darrell McLean. Today is Wednesday, April the 15th, and it is a nice cold day in the state of Virginia. Governors from both parties said on Tuesday that while they were a long ways from telling Americans to return to their normal lives, it was not too early to make plans for reopening states. Some states like California shut down early and entirely, while a few more rural states have yet to adopt at-home orders. It's possible that reopening the country could be similar ad hoc. President Trump, who a day earlier made a widely rejected claim that he had total authority to reopen the economy, said on Tuesday that he would work with the states. Bill Gates, the Microsoft founder who has donated a large part of his fortune to public health initiatives, was among those who criticized President Trump's decision to halt funding for the World Health Organization, which the president accused of a series of mistakes over the virus. Last year, the U.S. contributed about $553 million to the World Health Organization, which is part of the United Nations and has the two-year budget of about $6 billion. The International Monetary Fund projected that the global economy would contract 3% this year. It's the worst downturn since the Great Depression. A preliminary report today on the U.S. retail sales in March is expected to show a record fall. The International Monetary Fund issued a stark warning on Tuesday about the coronavirus economics toll, saying that the world is facing the worst downturn since the Great Depression and has shuttered factories, quarantines, and national lockdowns causes economic output to collapse. The grim forecast underscored the magnitude of the shock that the pandemic had influenced on both advanced and developing economies and daunting tasks that policymakers face in the continuing fallout. With countries already hoarding medical supplies and international travel curtailed, the IMF warned that the crisis threatened to reverse decades of gains from globalization. In its World Economic Outlook, the IMF projected that the global economy would contract by 3% in 2020, an extraordinary reversal from earlier this year when the fund forecast the world's economy would outpace 2019 and grow by 3.3%. This year's fall in output would be far more severe than the last recession when the world economy contracted by less than 1% between 2008 and 2009. The Trump administration has reached an agreement in principle with major airlines over the terms of a $25 billion bailout to prop up its industry hobbled by the coronavirus pandemic. The Treasury Department said that Alaska Airlines Elgin Air, American Airlines, Delta Airlines, Frontline Airlines, Hawaiian Airlines, JetBlue Airlines, United Airlines, SkyWest Airlines, and Southwest Airlines would all participate. The program is supposed to help the companies pay their workers and was created as a part of an economic stabilization packet that Congress passed last month. In recent days, the bailout negotiations became contentious over the Treasury's insistence that largest airlines repay at least some of the money they received. The two sides ultimately agreed that the government's support would be structured as a part of a grant and a part of a loan, and the Treasury received warrants, warrants to buy stocks in the companies. After coronavirus, colleges worry, will students actually come back? The pandemic has already cost universities millions of dollars as they consider the possibility of remote classes into the fall. They're worried about losing students permanently as well. Lucrative sporting events have been canceled, room and board payments have been refunded, and students at 
school, and during home are demanding hefty tuition discounts for what they see as the law spring term. Other revenue sources like study abroad programs and campus bookstores have dried up and federal research funding is threatened. Already colleges have seen their endowments weaken and worried that funding raising efforts will founder even as many families need more financial aid. They also expect to lose international students, especially from Asia, because of travel restrictions and concerns about studying abroad. Foreign students usually paying full tuition represent a significant revenue source everywhere from the Ivy League schools to community college. Some institutions are projecting $100 million of losses for the spring, and many are now bracing for even bigger financial hit in the fall when some were planning for the possibility of having to continue remote classes. Administrators are anticipating that students grappling with the financial and psychological impacts of the virus could choose to stay closer to home, go to less expensive schools, take a year off, or not go to college at all. A higher education trade group has projected a 15% drop in enrollment nationwide, amounting to a $23 billion revenue loss. In coronavirus-related news as well, New York City sharply increased its death toll on Tuesday after officials said they would include over 3,700 people who were presumed to have died of the virus but had never been tested positive for it. The new figures appear to increase the overall U.S. death toll by 17% to more than 26,000 deaths. The new figures released by the city's health department drove up numbers of the people killed in New York City to more than 10,000 and appeared to increase the overall United States death toll count. The numbers brought into a clear focus the staggering toll the virus had already taken on the largest city of the United States, where deserted streets are haunted by a near constant howl of ambulance sirens. Far more people have died in New York City on a per capita basis than Italy, the hardest hit of the European countries. And in a city, city reeling from over danger posed by the virus, top health officials said that they had identified another grim reality. The outbreak is likely to have also led indirectly to a spike in deaths of New Yorkers who may have never even been infected. 3,000 more people died in New York City between March 11th and April the 13th than would have been expected during the same time period in an ordinary year. Dr. Oritz Burkwart said, the commissioner of the city's health department, he said in an interview, while these so-called excess deaths were not explicitly linked to the virus, they might not have happened had an outbreak not occurred, in part because it overwhelmed the normal health care system. This is yet another part of the impact of COVID, she said, adding, the more study we was needed. Similar analysis is commonly done after heart waves are, were performed in the wake of Hurricane Mario in Puerto Rico. What New Yorkers are interested in and what the country is interested in is what we have to accurate and a complete count. In part of the healing process, we're going to have to go through this. The revised death toll renewed focus on shortcomings in testing that have hamstrung cities and state officials since the beginning of the outbreak. A limited number of tests have been available until now. Only deaths where persons have been tested positively officially counted among those killed by the virus. But for weeks, the health department also had been recording additional deaths tied to the virus. According to two people briefed on the matter, the case involved people who were presumed to have been infected because their symptoms and medical history. 
They were not included in the counts given publicly by Mayor de Blasio because no tests had confirmed the victims had had the COVID-19 disease. Mayor de Blasio decided after another round of briefings over the past weekend to release the presumptive cases, the people said. Most of the added deaths took place in hospitals, according to the data. Others occurred in nursing homes or long care facilities. In a heat of the battle, our primary focus has been on saving lives, said Fred Goldstein, the mayor's press secretary. As soon as the issue was raised, the mayor immediately moved to release uh, new data. New York City is among a handful of places in the country, including Connecticut, Ohio, and Delaware, that are beginning to disclose cases where infections is presumed but not confirmed. In California and Washington, locations of early cases in the American outbreaks, officials said they included deaths as connected to COVID-19 only when the disease was confirmed by testing. Louisiana and Chicago followed the same protocol. The new numbers in New York cover the weeks between March 11th and April 13th, beginning at a time when the virus had already been spreading throughout the city and its surrounding suburbs. Public health experts have encouraged people to stay six feet from others, which is supposed to be a safe distance. If a cough or sneeze spreads droplets, they may carry the coronavirus particles. While no scientists are suggesting that another distance is actually the right on, some say longer is better. Sneezes, for instance, can launch droplets further than six feet, according to a recent study. Dr. Michael Ortlehom of the University of Minnesota said he had no doubt that six feet distance would clearly reduce the number of droplets you come in contact with, but he added, the question is what does it take for you to get infected? And I think that that is a trillion dollar question. I'm so proud to endorse Joe Biden for President of the United States. Choosing Joe to be my Vice President was one of the best decisions I ever made, and he became a close friend. And I believe Joe has all the qualities we need in a President right now. He's someone whose own life has taught him how to persevere, how to bounce back when you've been knocked down. Joe has the character and the experience to guide us through one of our darkest times and heal us a long recovery and I know he'll surround himself with good people experts scientists military officials who actually know how to run the government and care about doing a good job running the government and know how to work with our allies and who will always put the American people's interests above their own for those of us who love this country and are willing to do our part to make sure it lives up to its highest ideals Now's the time to fight for what we believe in. So join us. Join Joe. Keep taking care of yourself and your families and each other. Keep believing in the possibilities of a better world. And I will see you on the campaign trail as soon as I can. And there you have it. The former President Barack Obama has endorsed the former Vice President Joe Biden for president. And this was a obviously expected thing. Now Obama had appeared to somewhat try to stay out of most of the campaigns because he didn't want to put his fingers on the scale, but it has been widely reported that behind the scenes that the former president did a lot to try to clear the path for the former Vice President, including calling Senator Bernie Sanders over three times to get him to get out faster and sending a signal out 
through all his former staffers that it was okay to get behind the vice president. And that is according to some research that was gathered by the New York Times. They have a, a huge article over there by Glenn Thrust called um, Accelerate the Endgame Obama's Role in Wrapping Up the Primary. And you can check that out in your leisure. This has to be something that has absolutely been loved by the Joe Biden campaign and staff because according to a new Quinnipiac University poll released, there is a 57% unfavorable rating among Donald Trump and a 49% unfavorable rating among Joe Biden, a 33% favorable rating for Donald Trump, and a 30% favorable rating among Joe Biden. So Joe Biden has a lot of groundwork to uh, come up with, and that poll was the favorability among people 18 to 34-year-old voters. And the other thing that we bought a tremendous amount of is the hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, which I think, as you know, it's a great malaria drug. It's worked unbelievably. It's a powerful drug on malaria, uh, and there are signs that it works on this, some very strong signs. And in the meantime, it's been around a long time. It also works very powerfully on lupus, lupus. So uh, there are some very strong, powerful signs we'll have to see, because again, it's being tested now. This is a new thing that just happened to us, the invisible enemy, we call it. And if you can, if you have a no signs of heart problems, the azithromycin, azithromycin, uh, which will kill uh, certain things that you don't want living within your body. It's a powerful drug. If you don't have a, a problem, a heart problem, uh, we would say, let your doctor think about it. But as a combination, I think they're going to be... Uh, I think there's two things that should be looked at very strongly. Now, we have uh, purchased and we have stockpiled 29 million pills of the hydroxychloroquine. 29 million. Uh, a lot of drugstores have them by prescription and also, and they're not expensive. Uh, also, uh, we're sending them to various labs, our military, we're sending them to the hospitals, we're sending them all over. I just think it's something, you know, the expression, I've used it for certain reasons. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Hydroxychloroquine, the anti-malaria drug, the president has called for a game changer in the fight against the coronavirus pandemic, relieved symptoms of the virus, but did not get rid of the virus in patients of the disease. The new study that recently shows the study, which has yet to be peer-reviewed, tested 150 COVID-19 patients across 16 medical centers across China, the initial epicenter of the outbreak. When testing new treatments, we were looking for signals that shows that they might be effective before producing two larger studies. Ali Chung, an infectious disease physician and professor of epidemiology at Melbourne, Australia, Musha University, told Bloomberg. This study doesn't show any signal, so it's probably unlikely that it will be 
of clinical benefit. According to the study, patients who took the drug experienced some side effects, including diarrhea. The drug has been highly touted by the Trump administration, though many health experts have warned that they have been haven't been enough studies on the drug to know if it's actually an effective treatment against COVID-19. Since the president's praise of the drug, numerous studies have of uh, the substance have begun, including in New York State, the epicenter of the pandemic. A few headlines before we leave. President Donald Trump said Tuesday he would cut off the U.S. support for the World Health Organization. He says the death rate from the coronavirus pandemic continues to accelerate, with worldwide confirmed deaths topping 127,000. Speaking from the Rose Garden, Trump sought to shift the blame from his administration's disastrous handling of the pandemic onto the United Nations Public Health Agency, accusing the WHO of helping China to cover up the spread of the coronavirus when it emerged last year. President Trump went on to say the world depends on the WHO to work with countries to ensure the accurate information about international health threats in a sharp and timely manner, and if not, it's independently tell the world the truth about what's happening. The WHO failed in the basic duty and must be held accountable, end quote. The president's decision sparked international outrage and condemnation. Richard Horton, editor-in-chief of the Lasset Medical Journal, tweeted the president's decision to defund the WHO is simply this, a crime against humanity. Every scientist, every health worker, every citizen must resist and rebel against this appalling betrayal of global solidarity. New Jersey reported 365 coronavirus-related deaths Tuesday, a record daily toll for the nation's second most impacted state. New Jersey's health commissioner says 324 of the state's 375 nursing homes have confirmed cases of COVID-19. Judith Pershell were making the assumption that COVID-19 is the most, if all, of our nursing homes at this point. Nationwide, more than 3,800 people have died at long-term care facilities, about 15% of all U.S. deaths. In California, Governor Nass Gavin Newsom on Tuesday outlined a roadmap to eventually reopen parts of the economy in tandem with Oregon and Washington State. Newsom's plan calls for greatly expand testing, tracing the contacts of the people who test positive, and isolating those exposed to the virus. It would also expand protections for seniors and other vulnerable groups while ensuring that hospitals don't get overwhelmed by surges of COVID-19 patients. Schools would develop new protocols for keeping students physically separated, and restaurants would be required to provide strong safety measures. Governor Newsom said in a briefing, you may be having dinner with a waiter wearing gloves, maybe a face mask, and dinner where the menu is disposable, where the tables, half of the tables in that restaurant no longer appear when your temperature is checked before you walk into the establishment. These are all likely scenarios. In Florida, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis is defending his administration's decision to classify a professional wrestling event as essential services during the lockdown. World Wrestling Entertainment resumed live matches without audiences on Monday. The governor has repeatedly defended calls by local officials to take stronger action to spread the coronavirus. On Monday, Florida Surgeon General Dr. Scott Rivix was removed from a press briefing after he said social distancing measures might need to remain in place for a year or longer. Dr. Scott Rivix, so as long as we're going to have COVID in the environment, and it's a tough virus. We're going to have to practice these measures that we'll all be protected. Just moments after those remarks, Dr. Rivix was ushered out of the room by Governor DeSantis' spokesperson. A budget watchdog warned Tuesday that the federal deficit 
would rise by a record-smashing $3.8 trillion this year, even if lawmakers don't pass any more stimulus bill, which they were widely expected to do. Deficit spending is on track to top 18.7 of the U.S. gross domestic product, the highest rate since World War II. Today, April 15th, is typically tax day, but the IRS has extended the deadline for income tax filings until July 15th. The Treasury Department says more than 80 million people who authorized the IRS to make direct deposits on a recent tax return will see stimulus payments up to $1,200 added to their bank's accounts. Others will have to wait for a check. In an unprecedented move, President Trump has ordered the Treasury Department to print his name on all stimulus checks. Senior IRS officials told Washington Post the request could slow delivery of the checks by a few days. Prisoner death mounts rise as coronavirus spread rapidly behind bars. In Ohio, the head of the prison guard union says the fifth prisoner has died of COVID-19 at the Elkin Federal Correctional Institution, where 36 prisoners and 26 staff members have tested positive for COVID-19. Elsewhere, Virginia, Maryland, South Carolina, Ohio, and Indiana have reported the first COVID-19 deaths of people in state prisons. A prisoner at D.C. Central Detention Facility died of the disease on Monday, and at Rikers Island, the jail in New York, a second prisoner has died of COVID-19. In Michigan, where at least 10 people incarcerated have died, prisoners have filed federal lawsuits alleging that they have been given a death sentence. In New York, a viral video shows a group of police officers in Harlem subway station forcibly detaining a young boy for selling candy at a subway station in an alleged violation of social distancing rules. Police officers are also seen to be pulling the boy's sweater and holding him by the chest as he cries and struggles to get away from the officers. The boy mothers were who were repeatedly present during the incident. Meanwhile, Philadelphia police officers were filmed violently pulling out a man from inside of a bus because the man was not wearing a face mask. Ohio Governor Mike Dewin has delayed three upcoming executions, saying the state has struggled for years to obtain a new combination of lethal injection drug. This is the eighth time Dewin has delayed an execution since he took office in 2019. Last year, a federal judge ruled that lethal injection drugs that have been used in Ohio are unconstitutional and produced a painful drowning sensation similar to waterboarding. That ruling was later overturned by appeals courts. Our show is actually made possible and sustained by loyal Patreon members. And I actually have a question today from one of our Patreons who says, Hey, Darrell, I really enjoy listening to your show. My question is what legislation, if any, has been drafted and presented to Congress regarding term limits for both the House and the Senate? And is there any bipartisan support for such changes? Thanks. Well, to answer the question uh, in a very technical term, there was a bill that was introduced in January the 3rd of 2019 by a Republican representative from Florida by the name of Francis Romney. And it was proposing that an amendment to the Constitution that limited, limited the amount of times a senator and a congressman could serve to actually two terms. That bill was introduced. It did not pass the House. It did not pass the Senate. And therefore, it has not been introduced to any president to become a law. Mitch McConnell, who is currently the majority leader of the Senate, when asked about term limits, recently actually said that Senators and congressmen do have term limits. It's called voting. 
So the Senate and the Congressman bitterly rejects the idea of having term limits put on them. And um, bills like that have come up over time. There are three other related bills in, in, um, in, in recent memory. One also released on the same day in the Senate by the Republican Senator Ted Cruz. Um, that bill would be titled SJ Resolution 1. Then there was another one introduced in the Senate as well. And that one was by Senator Rick Scott of Florida as well. And that one was on 5-14-2019 and kind of had the same type of language. Joint resolution proposing amendments to the Constitution of the United States relative to lean in veto and limitation on the number of terms that a member of Congress may serve and requiring a vote of two thirds of the membership of both houses of Congress on any legislation raising or imposing on new taxes or fees. All three of those bills were just introduced, never voted on, and that is the recent history on term limits in the Congress and the Senate. Thanks for the question. Keep them coming, and I will keep answering. Patrons are our loyal followers, our sustaining members. That's how we actually keep the show going. And that is going to wrap it up for the morning show. Thank you for tuning in to the Darrell McLean Show. If you want to support the show, you can go to www.patreon.com slash the Darrell McLean Show. That's www.patreon.com slash the Darrell McLean Show. And you can listen to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and many other places where you can get your podcast needs. Thank you and hopefully see you later on today.